Amen. How are we doing, church? Hope you're well. I know that's heavy, super heavy. And if you, and if you have come to looking for kind of a happy, happy uh, New Year's sermon, you're really in the wrong place. But what if, what if 2016 was the year, the year that everything changed? What if 2016 was the year that, that by the strength and power available only through Jesus Christ, that you ripped off the Band-Aid and exposed all of who you are to all of who God is. And this was the year that you began to step into the life that God dreamed up for you when God came up with the idea that is you. What if this was the year that the fake you was put to death fully and finally, and by faith you stepped into what God had for you? That's what we're studying over the next 11 weeks. We're going to be studying the book of Joshua. If you've got your Bible, I'd love for you to go there. We're going to spend 11 weeks talking about this person that, that is Joshua, not some, not some um, character in a story in a land far away in a time long ago, but just a regular guy like you and me that God called to do incredible things. And if you've been around Bible study with us for a while, you remember back in our Ancient Future series in Numbers chapter 13 was our first introduction of Joshua. That's where we meet him. And back then, uh, Joshua was a spy, and Moses sent 12 spies into the land of Canaan to spy out the promised land. And two men came back full of faith, Joshua and Caleb, and that's why we remember their names, because, because they were men of faith. We name our kids after them, you know. And then there's a list of 10 people, and you have no idea who any of their names are. A part of it is because they were full of fear, and they were on the list of the forgotten. Another reason is because they had weird names, like Shofat. You don't want to name your kid Shofat. Because it won't go show good when they get to high school, you know what I mean? Shofat's going to prom by himself. But that's where we first meet him. But now there's a big transition in Joshua chapter 1. And Joshua's going to go uh, from kind of second in command, and he's going to be the man. And we're going to learn a whole lot, a whole lot as we study Joshua about what it means for you, maybe this year, in 2016, to step into what God has for you. And we're going to find out today that thing, that one thing that's holding us back. So Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, starts out this way. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, verse 2, Moses, my servant is dead. <laughs> that's all God says. It's, uh, uh, God, it's a pretty short eulogy. I don't think you want God to do your eulogy. That's all he says, all right? All that Moses was and all that Moses did and five whole books of the Bible that Moses wrote and this incredible champion of God. And Moses, I mean, God shows up and says, Joshua, yeah, God, uh, Moses is dead. Anything else, God? No, I'm good. That's it, all right? Here's what it reminds me of. Coach Lee, bully, the guy that led me to Christ, he used to tell our football teams this. He's like, boys, you want to know how easy it is for God to replace you? You want to know what a big deal you are in this world? Take your finger and put it in a cup of water, pull it out, and look for the dent. That's how long it takes. No, but I thought it was a rainbow, a snowflake. Uh-uh, wrong. So this is what God starts with, with Joshua. Moses, he's done. Now it's your turn. Here's why I think God starts there. It's important to begin with the end in mind. If you've ever read uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, that's where Covey starts. He says we should begin with the end in mind. This is what, this is what God is doing with Joshua. And in that book, I would encourage you to do what Covey says to do. He says, imagine your own funeral. And I know it's not, you know, Happy New Year, but it, it's a reality. I don't know if you know this, but the the uh, death rate in America hovers right around 100% right now, all right? It's likely to plateau right there because there will a day come a day where every single one of us are done, all right? It's either a car crash or cancer is coming for all of us. And some at, on, on your, the day of your funeral, people are going to gather around and some people are going to say stuff about you. 
You don't want God to do your eulogy. Hopefully a friend or a family member or somebody is going to stand up and they are going to say some stuff about you. And my question for you is, what are, what's the stuff that they're going to say? And the answer is, well, it depends on what you do from this day until that day. You know what hangs in the balance for Joshua on this day? The rest of his entire life. You know what hangs in the balance for you? The rest of your entire life. Because I'm telling you, they're going to gather up at some church, and you're going to be in this box, and the person's going to be standing there saying some stuff. What do you want them to say? Because then they're going go to a, go to a cemetery, and they're going to lower you into the ground. And on your tombstone, it's going to be a few things. Mine is going to say, born 1973. Died, I want Gretchen to put in your arms tonight. I don't know if she will, but I just think that'd be awesome, right? <laughs> she probably won't. And then they're going to come up with some little thing to say about you, dad, husband. But the most important thing on that tombstone, do you realize what it is? It's that little dash between those two numbers. That little dash represents who you are, the decisions you make, the kind of life and legacy that you live and leave. And what God is starting with here with Joshua is, listen, I am calling you to something extremely big. Moses' time is over, and Joshua, now it's your turn. Did you know the same thing is true today? What if, what if 2016, what if this is the year, what if this is the year that you step into the adventure that God has for you? And so he says, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan, you and all the people, into the land that I am giving to them. This is a big deal. This is the promised land. The land that God promised Abraham all the way back in like Genesis chapter 12. So, so far, everything that we've been studying the last couple of years and the first five books of the Bible are really all about the nation of Israel moving into this promised land. And what God would have Joshua know is that he is giving them this land. He's giving it to the people of Israel. Verse 3, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. Words matter, especially when God speaks them. You should pay attention here. That is past tense. Do you get this? So what he's saying to Joshua is, it's already a done deal. It is the promised land. Not, if you try hard, I've got something for you. But that God preordained before the foundation of time this land for his people. And so he is telling Joshua, Joshua, you're not seeking the will of God. You are reaping the will of God. What if 2016 was the year you began to believe that God actually has a purpose and a plan for you? And, it's a, and he has a hope and a future, a plan to prosper you and not to harm you because he's a good dad and he loves his kids. That's what he's saying here. He says, I have given it to you. Just as I promised to Moses, verse 4, from the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and to the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory. Now, can I tell you, now this is just conjecture, okay? The Bible's over there, I'm over here. This is just conjecture, but I think if you were a part of the crowd there, when God is talking to Joshua, and you were to look at the face of Joshua after God says, Joshua, you're going to take this people and you're going to cross over the, the Jordan and you're going to go into the land of Canaan and wipe it out and take it all there, I think the face of Joshua is like, do what? I, I'm a, what? And here's why. You know what the problem with going into the land of Canaan is? There's Canaanites that live there. That's the problem. And here's the thing. Um, Joshua is probably thinking, uh, hey, God, I, I, I'm not qualified to do this. You see, I'm a professional wanderer. 
For the last 40 years, I have been mentored by the greatest wanderer of all time. His name was Moses. I have a master's degree, a PhD in wandering. This is what we did for the last 40 years. We'd get up in the morning. We'd pack up our stuff. Come on, everybody get your stuff. They'd get their stuff. They would follow the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire. And then when it stopped, they stopped. It was like, all right, unpack. Here we are. They were like professional RVers. That's what they did for 40 years. And now God is calling Joshua to be a conqueror. He's been a spy once, and, he's, and he fought one battle. He is not this great conqueror, and I think he's freaking out. Which is also funny, because if you, if you remember in, in uh, Numbers chapter 13, when, when Joshua was that spy, he came back full of, full of faith and courage, right? Do you remember this? We talked about it. That Joshua and Caleb came back and said, we can take this. God, God is for us. Who could be against us? Let's do it. And now that he's the boss, now that he's in charge, he's like, whoa, 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 do what? What are you calling us to do? It, I tell you what it reminds me of. It reminds me of when I was a youth pastor working for Jerry Sweat. When I used to work for Pastor Jerry at Beach and I was a youth pastor and I was in charge of very, very little, did you know that I was an expert in church? I knew it all. I knew how to fix all the problems, how to reach all the people. How to, I really did. I knew it all. And me and Pastor Ryan Stone would sit in the back row of those services and be like, <laughs> one day when we're in charge, this is what we'll do. And then the Lord went, all right, Scooter, your turn. And you're like, oh, do what? I mean, that's how it goes. And so I think that, that Joshua is freaking out right here of this call of God on his life. And maybe, just maybe, maybe God calls us to tasks that are bigger than us so that we'll have to lean in and trust him because that requires faith. And the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So think about this. If faith is the currency by which we have a relationship with God, then maybe that's why God continuously calls you and me to do stuff that we cannot do on our own so that we have to have him. So maybe if that's true, maybe things like weakness and dependence are actually a positive and not a negative in our relationship with the Lord. And so he calls Joshua. I want you to cross over. So my question to you if you're ready to get real about your relationship with the Lord, is this. Now, if you just want to be fake and fake it like you have for, you know, a long time, that's fine. The fake you is doing great. You look great. See you next year. But if you are ready, if you're ready to lean in like you never have before, let me ask you this. What is God calling you to do in 2016? I mean, what's the step of faith that he is calling and commanding of you? And some of you, immediate, some of you know already. I mean, you know right now. And you're like, dang it. Is that what we're going to talk about? Uh-huh. And then somebody would be like, I don't know. How would I know? My question would be, do you think it's God that's not talking to you? You see, Jesus said that he was a good shepherd and we're his sheep, that we would recognize his voice. If you are not hearing what God is calling you to do, what requires you to step out in faith, do you think it's because he's not talking or that your life is so loud that you don't have ears to hear? So we'll come back to that in a little while. I think Joshua's freaking out. And so God continues in verse 5. God says, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Here's the promise. He's like, Joshua, I'm going to be with you. Just like I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. And then he repeats himself. I will not leave you or forsake you. Just a little Bible study note as you begin to study the Bible on your own. If the almighty sovereign God of the universe who spoke into existence everything that is begins to repeat himself, you might want to highlight that or underline it or bite your finger and bleed on it. Something where you can be like, this must be important because he keeps saying it over and over and over. And the promise of God to Joshua is, I'm going to be with you. 
And then the evidence that he gives them is this. He says, Joshua, look into the rear view mirror of your life. Now, the windshield is a lot bigger than the rear view. That's how it's designed on purpose, all right? But you can look over your shoulder, and the reason you can know that I will be faithful is because I always have been faithful. The example he gives is just look at Moses. Do you, do you know what an advantage we have as Christians? Do you know what's in the rear view for us? It is the cross of Jesus Christ. Do you know how you know that God will be faithful in all of his promises, that he is who he says he is, and he always keeps his promises? See the cross. Because God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. So whatever he calls you to do, he will always be with you. That's what he promises. And then in verse 6, he says, Be strong and courageous. Now, why does God tell Joshua to be strong and courageous? Here's why. Because he is weak and he is afraid. You don't have to tell strong and courageous people to be strong and courageous. God doesn't waste a lot of time telling people stuff they already know. I think God looks in the heart of this man named Joshua that we think this big biblical hero, and really he's just freaking out. And let me be honest, me too. Me too. I like people to think I'm strong. I like people to think I am courageous. And the reality is the most commanded thing in all of the scripture is do not be afraid. There's at least 366 versions of don't be afraid, be strong and courageous, be anxious for nothing, do not worry, all of these things. Why? Because I think every single one of us need to hear it every single day of our life, including leap year, that we, that we should be strong, that we should be courageous, that we should not be afraid. Why? Because every single one of us wake up almost every day and we are afraid. And that's why God just has it on repeat. And so he looks at this man and says, be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Now, I hope I take the Bible very seriously. Verses like this kind of make my head explode a little bit. You see what God says here? God looks at Joshua and says, Joshua, what you are about to do, you, by your actions, you are going to cause this people to inherit the land. Now, let me, just, let me just put my theological cards on the table for you, okay? I'm like a sovereignty God guy, all right? I'm, I'm reformed in my soteriology. I believe God chooses, we don't choose, all right? I believe that God's in charge of all things, that he created all things for him, by him, through him, and to him. I think nothing's over his head. He's never surprised. Like, some of you think you chose to come to church today. Ha, ha, ha. He lets you think that just because, you know, he likes you a little bit. And, and you think, no, 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 I'm not here because of the sovereignty of God. I'm here because of her, and I'm going to lunch with her afterwards. That's what you think. And God can use your wickedness to bring you to church so that he can draw you unto himself. That's where I land on all things, okay? That God can even use the sin of man to accomplish his goodness. And so... But here, but then, but then God throws in verses like this. and says, well, yeah, that's true, because he's already said twice, right? I'm giving the land, and it's already been given to you. And Joshua, you're going to cause it to happen. This is crazy. Why? Why does he do this? The only thing I can come up with this is that he's a good dad, and he loves his kids. Parents, you ever ask your kids to help you with something? How much help are they? None. They are the fundamental problem. Are they not at your house? They really are. So uh, my in-laws, Gretchen's parents, they gave us a tramp. They gave the kids a trampoline for Christmas because they hate us and uh, they <laughs> wanted to kill us. And so kids were more stoked about that than anything else. And so um, the day after Christmas, JP's like, "Oh, can we put together the trampoline?" And so I'm like, "Yeah, buddy." And I asked him, "Hey, you want to help me?" He's like, "I sure do." And then we open that box, and there's 19,000 parts. All right, I think they were inspired by IKEA. IKEA is is Hebrew for "I hate my parents." I think that's what it means. <laughs> 
all right? Or Greeks for cusses a lot. I, one of those two, I'm not sure. Depends on your background. And, and so we get out there and we lay out all the parts and, and, and JP's my helper. Now let's be, how helpful is he? I'm like, dude, this is not hide and seek with the parts, okay? Can you stay focused here? And, and the reason I tell him to stay focused is because um, I, have, I have clinically diagnosed JP with what's called ADOP. Some of you know what ADD is and ADHD, but ADOP is attention deficit. Oh, pretty. And that's him, all right? <laughs> so a squirrel moves and he's like over there somewhere. And so we're out there and it probably takes me longer, but we finally get that thing all together. And then once we got it all together, and you know the lives of our children are dependent on this thing being right, all right? And so we finally get it together and then I do like the test run and I put it on Facebook for your viewing pleasure and I did a backflip. And the reason I did is because uh, when I was in the first grade, Santa Claus brought me a uh, trampoline and my dad did a flip and he ended up in the ER and I just wanted to prove I'm better than him. And so I did that <laughs> and I'm never getting on it again, but I, I, I made it. And so, and so then we begin to walk in. We walk in the house and Gretchen says, what have you guys been doing? And JP says, we just put the trampoline together. <laughs> Hold on, Scooter, what do you mean we? You know, but the reality is, is that we put the trampoline together. That I didn't need him to help me, I just wanted him to because I'm his dad and I like doing stuff together. Do you understand? That's what I think that God is doing here. Because think about it. What does God need from you? What can you give God? What, you going to give him 20 bucks? He's got it. You're going to give him a ride? He's there. You're going to give him, uh, give him some advice? He knows. But he's a good dad that still likes to take his kids to work with him. That's what he's doing at the Church of 1122. Do you realize the craziness that God is doing through the church of 1122 this day? The number of people being baptized, the thousands of people here and at Bay Meadows and in the sanctuary all over the place. You think it's because he needs us? Ain't no way. And yet, because he is a good dad that loves his kids and delights to work with his kids. He says, I've already established it and I'm initiating it and I'm doing it all. And by, you, by your obedience, you're going to cause some stuff to happen. In people's lives. And so he says, For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Verse 7, Only be strong and very courageous. Second time he said it. And he threw a little very in there. Let me just warn you. If God gives you the be strong and courageous pep talk, he's got a big plan for your life. He says be strong and very courageous. Now, what if in this moment, I think what happens is I think, I think Moses, I mean, I think Joshua is like, all right, I hear you, God. But how? How? How am I just to be something? How am I to be strong and courageous when in reality I'm weak and afraid? You ever just try to not be scared of something? Just, I am not scared. The more you say it, the more you are. It's just true. It's like trying to sleep. You ever try to sleep? It just ruins it. Doesn't you're like, I am, and you try to, you can't. Makes it worse. I have the spiritual gift of sleep. Gretchen wakes up every time I breathe out loud, okay? And so, and she was like, how do you sleep so easy? I'm like, I don't know, watch. And I can go right back into it. And then she tries and it makes her mad and you can't sleep mad. All right, so that's kind of what it's like if you just try to be strong and courageous. So I, I'm kind of reading into it, but based on what, what God says here to Joshua, I think he's like, God, how? How am I just to be strong and be courageous because I am really weak and I am really afraid? And God gives the answer right here. He says, only be strong and very courageous. Be careful be careful to do according to all the law of Moses. My servant commanded you. Don't turn from it to the right hand or to the left, 
that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Here's what he's saying here. He's like, Joshua, you may believe cognitively that I am with you, but if you want to know at the experiential level that I am with you, a part of that is you've just got to be rooted in my word. This law of Moses that he's talking about so far is all the Bible that there is, the first five books of the Bible. And he's saying, I have given you my very word, and don't depart from it to the right or to the left, but meditate on it, marinate in it. Because what's going to happen, as you begin to step out in faith, the enemy is going to, be able, is going to begin to whisper some junk to you in your ear. And as, and as you begin to hear the whispers of the enemy, you better be rooted, you better be anchored in the word of God. Which, by the way, is why at the church of 1122, this is what we teach week after week after week. Not my philosophies and not five steps to be a better version of you. Because you've tried that and it doesn't work. That I think I can entertain you for a little while. I think I, I can emotionally manipulate you. I can make you laugh, make you cry, all of that. But none of that has the power to actually change your life. Only the power of the word of God infused with the spirit of God can actually give you the strength and courage that you need to do what God has called you to do. So I'm like the mailman. I don't write it. I just deliver it. But we are going to be rooted in the word of God over and over and over. And you need to know it. You need to know it. So when the whispers of the enemy come your way, you do not believe the father of lies. But you believe the truth of the word of God. The truth of the word of God. That's what he tells them here. And then, verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So he says, Joshua, he does not say, be strong and courageous, Josh, because you're awesome. Be strong and courageous because you got this. He doesn't say, be strong and courageous because you're good enough and you're smart enough and doggone it, people like you. No, it's none of that. He also says, be strong and courageous because I'm going to fix all your circumstances. Mm Mm-mm. He doesn't say be strong and courageous because you're awesome. And I know, especially like if you're in the under 40 crowd, you have been taught since kindergarten that you're a snowflake and you're a butterfly and you're a Skittle. You're not. You're a wretched black-hearted sinner that needs a Savior. But in Christ, all things are possible. Not because you're awesome, but because He is. And you do not find your strength in you. You find it in Him. And so at the beginning of the year, I'm telling you, the self-help gurus, this is where they make all their money. And they're going to say, just look deep within you. That's exhausting. You've tried it before. It's why we're all here together today. Because we need something bigger than us to find strength in. Here's the point. Strength and courage are not found within you, but in knowing that God is with you. And we have an unfair advantage against Joshua. You know why? Because in the Old Testament, God the Father kind of watched over his people. In the four Gospels, Jesus walked beside his people, but post-Pentecost, The Holy Spirit lives within his people. So you don't look within you to find you. You look to the Holy Spirit of God. And when there's perfect love, perfect love casts out fear, and God perfectly loves you. So here's the question that I have for you. So what step of faith is God calling you to take? Because I think, I think it's interesting, but I think it's kind of a waste of time just to study all about Joshua and not ask how this applies to you and me. And um, 
So in 2016, what is the step of faith that God is calling you to take? And I am not talking about New Year's resolutions. My problem with New Year's resolutions is they're not big enough. And I get it. You probably do need to lose 10 pounds. Me too. But that requires no faith, all right? It requires just not eating as much or whatever, working out. In fact, uh, a guy on our staff, at our staff meeting on Tuesday, he got up in front of our staff and said, and he shared his New Year's resolutions. Uh, or one of them, he said, my New Year's resolution is to smile more. And then he smiled. And I thought, I don't think your face is really built for it. You should just, <laughs> right? You're fearfully and wonderfully made, mostly fearfully. So just, you're right. And uh, so pray for him. I don't want to tell you his name, but his initials are Ed Lehman. So if you could just pray for Ed, all right, that'd be great. <laughs> and I thought, what, you know, what does it require of you? Pray for his wife mostly. But what does it require of you to smile more? I don't know, whatever. He, smile if you want. But, but what I'm asking is that, that bigger question. What is God calling you to do in 2016? in 2016, that requires so much faith, so much faith, that you're going to have to lean into him with everything you're made of. What is it? Some of you, as soon as I bring it up, you know that maybe this is the year. Maybe 2016 is the year that you, you get off of the merry-go-round of normality and you actually chase that dream job, not because, not because it gives you the kind of dream life that you're looking forward to, because it was God's dream that he planted in you a long, long time ago. And instead, because you were so afraid of the what-ifs, what if it didn't work, that you've been chasing the wrong rabbits your whole life. And maybe this is the year that you put all of your financial security at risk by faith because God is calling you to do it. What would that look like? Or maybe some of you moms, God is telling you to quit your job and come home and raise those kids. Because you, you bought into a bill of goods that somebody sold you and what they were describing was somebody else's life and not yours. And, and, and you make all kinds of adjustments, not because I'm telling you to do that, but because God is. And some of you moms, some of you, maybe God is telling you for the sake of your kids and your own sanity, go to work. And new gen is saying, praise God, listen to him, mama, all right? And the reason is because you're just trying to live out this caricature of your grandma or your mother or the little women's group that you're in or whatever it is. And the problem with it, the problem with it is you're not living out God's call in your life. And it's time to step out in faith and do what God has called you to do. Or maybe the big step of faith for you is it's time for you to change your major. And I know what you're thinking. You'd be like, I've been at this one for six or seven years, and I know I should have three degrees already, and my, my parents won't pay. They'll only pay for one major. They won't pay for the second one. But the problem is your mom and dad love you like crazy, but they're just not your Lord. And it's time for you to study what God has called you to study so you can be who God has called you to be. Or maybe, maybe this is the year you actually buy a ring and get on your knee and ask her to marry you. You've been dating her for seven years, Hoss, okay? All right? Either grow up and let's get this done, or it's fourth and long time to punt, whatever, but make a decision. Can I get an amen? All right? Maybe God's calling you to retire. That you spent your whole, your whole career, your whole career, and God has made you incredibly successful, and now it's time. God is calling you to switch gears and leverage all of that success for kingdom significance. But the way you retire is not going to be the way your friends retired. You're not going to get an RV and go up and down the East Coast collecting seashells. But you're actually going to invest all kind of time, effort, money that most people don't have the luxury of. And God's giving you bukus of it. And you're going to invest that kind of time and all of that, all of that influence that you've had. And you're going to invest it into the expanding kingdom of God. And you're going to do it differently. Maybe, maybe the step of faith is this, is that today... You're going to pick up that, call, that phone and you're going to call somebody and offer forgiveness that leads to the ministry of reconciliation. 
And immediately you're like, whoa, 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 but it's not my fault. Thank God Jesus didn't treat us that way, right? And that might be what he's calling you to do. Or maybe, maybe, maybe you begin to step out in faith and actually live a life of generosity. I mean radical generosity. Some of you are still holding on to your before all things card. And some of you are like, are you really going to talk about that again? I am until you quit walking in fear and actually step out in faith. And that you would actually believe what Jesus said when he said, or said it's better to give than to receive. And obviously, I'm not talking about dollar amounts for our church, man. The Lord has blessed us like crazy. But what if this was the year that you actually stepped out and, and, and greed, just its fingers were pried off of your heart because you didn't live in fear, but you lived by faith. Or maybe, maybe this is the year you go on your first mission trip, your very first mission trip. And you think, oh, here we are going again. And you've got 10,000 reasons why you can't go. And there's one reason you should, because you know the Spirit of God is telling you to go. And whatever excuses you have, have nothing on the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's got all the money in the world. He can allocate it to exactly what he wants. If that's your problem, he'll cover it. You see, the deal is, I'm not your Holy Spirit. I'm not. I can't tell you what it is. You just listen to it. Maybe this is the year that you actually fix your marriage. That husbands... Husbands, that you actually lean in and repair and apologize and repent and take care of that heart that you promised to provide for and protect. See, we've got a, we've got a marriage conference uh, in, fe- in February. It's called The Mingling of the Souls. My friend Matt Chandler, he's a pastor in Dallas, Texas. He's going to be here, and we're partnering together with First Baptist downtown. And maybe, husband, maybe you sign up and say, baby, I'm going to lead this fight. Not the way that we usually fight, but I'm going to lead the fight for instead of a fight with, and that you would step in. You know what it looks like as a church? To take a big old step of faith because God is calling us to? That when you're just barely three years old as a church, you launch a new location. Today, we did that. At the 9 o'clock service at Bay Meadows location, there were 922 people. Isn't that crazy cool? That's cool. Now, can I just tell you? And, and we were... To the brim here. And that's not the point. The point is not just having big crowds at church. If I was in the crowd business, I'm telling you, I'd go work for Monster Truck. It seems easier. And they're my people. All right? So, but what we are trying to do is make a way for people, for all people, to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you can't wait until you get it all figured out and worked out before you step out. So what does it look like for you? What is God calling you to do? Here's what I dare you to do. I dare you to take out your notes and open it up, and right there where it says, what step of faith is God calling you to take? I dare you to just write it down. Even if you just want to write it down so that you can prove to me later that you're not going to do it. I don't care. And men, I dare you to actually write something down in church. Now here's what it will require. Your arms will have to go from here to here, Houdini, and get a pen and say, all right, by faith, I think this is what God is calling me to do. Now the moment you begin to do that, I mean the moment you begin to do that, this thing is going to well up in you called fear. So my question would be, so what are you afraid of? Like if that's what God is calling you to do, then what are you afraid of? You see, I think this is why God tells Joshua to be strong and courageous because he's afraid. I'll tell you every fear, the fear every man in here has. Do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes? I was talking with a friend, I was actually talking with Matt on the phone 
about leading this church. And he asked me, what are you afraid of? And I told him, I said, look, bro, here's, here's my biggest fear. I just don't want to let God down. I mean, I want to work hard. I want to do my part. And I don't want to let God down. He said, I have good news. I said, what's that? He goes, you're not holding him up? <laughs> Sounds like a Bible verse, doesn't it? It should be. You so, <clears throat> If I were to ask you, what are you afraid of? Most people just begin to list kind of the surface fears. The number one is always public speaking. So, you know, I mentioned funerals earlier. It's just true. If you go to a funeral, most people would rather be the person in the box than the person talking about the person in the box. That's just how it goes. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the fear that's below the fear that's below the fear. Deep down, rooted in there, what are you afraid of? See, JP and I went hunting a few weeks ago. We're climbing up into the tree stand, and there's a big spider web. I'm like, just go through it. He's like, hey, I'm not going through it. I was like, are you afraid of a spider web? He's like, no. I said, are you afraid of a spider? Sort of. I said, what are you scared of? He goes, I'm scared of what the spider will do to me. See, that's the fear below the fear. Get it? Because, you know, you walk through a spider web, and you're like, oh, my. Is it on me? I feel like it's on me. Uh, and you can't see. You're like, whoa. Because what you're really afraid of is something happening to you. Um, there's an article in, in Psychology Today, and it talked about the pyramid of fears that really there are just like five base fears. And, the, and the kind of the, the weakest, the tip of the, of the pyramid is, that, is a fear of ego death. That just means a fear of shame. The second one, kind of the next layer, is a fear of separation or a fear of rejection that other people will, will um, reject us. And then we start getting into some real fears. The, the third layer is a loss of autonomy. That means like imprisonment. The fourth is mutilation or torture. And the fifth is the fear of extinction. Honestly. Most of us, most of us in our regular day-to-day -day lives here in Jacksonville only deal with those top two. That we are ruled by this fear of what other people think. It's true, because here's what's crazy. I mean, just confession time, right? I know the verses. I know that I am more than a conqueror. I know that, that with faith, all things are possible with God. I know that, that I am an heir of the Most High God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. I know that He is sovereign over all things. And I know that my Father delights in me, not because I'm a pastor or go to church, but because I'm adopted son of the King. I know all those things, and yet for some reason, what you think of me matters way too much. And if we're not careful, we can begin to make decisions out of fear because of the what ifs and, and what do they think. I do not think I'm overstating my case. But the one thing that is holding you back from God's best for you is you're afraid. You're afraid. So what would it look like to step out in courage? I read a book called Courage, The Backbone of Leadership by Gus Lee. I want to share a part of a chapter with you. Um, he talks about his time as, at West Point as a student. And while he was there, uh, Major Schwarzkopf comes in to teach their class back in the day. And this is his account uh, with Norman Schwarzkopf. It says, Gus Lee says, I was, I was as dumb as a pulled stump, but I knew that Major Schwarzkopf was a great man and that if he managed to elude the catastrophes that flank all of us, he'd provide great service for our nation, if not the world. He was at the academy, and he was the most highly decorated combat veteran of the new controversial war in Vietnam and one of the largest, smartest, and most intimidating human beings I had ever met. I would have listened attentively had he said he was going to teach us how to open a can of pop. Schwarzkopf speaks. He says, imagine that you and the troops for which you are responsible are on an international border. The enemy can cross it and strike you with impunity, but you can't cross the border. 
That order comes from the commander-in-chief. And every night, the enemy crosses the border to kill and wound your men who are Vietnamese airborne volunteers in your care. And every night, you chase the enemy, but they escape at the border where you stop as you are ordered. Here's the question. When the enemy hits you again tonight, do you pursue them over the line or do you follow orders and halt at the border? Questions. Hands went up around the classroom. If we cross it, will it start a new war? He answers, nope. If we cross the border, can we destroy the, the enemy? He answers, yes. If we cross it and get caught, are we in big trouble? And he answers, absolutely. Your president will be very displeased with you, personally. There were no more questions in the class. Gentlemen, stop or go right. And then the author thinks, and he says, it's pretty obvious, I thought. If I've learned one thing here is that you follow orders, especially from the president, right from wrong, disobeying the president would be very wrong. Okay, I wrote, stop. When the last pencil dropped, Major Schwarzkopf asked, how many said stop? I raised my hand, so did most of the class. How many said go? The major smiled at the few hands. He says, there are two kinds of people in the world, leaders and careerists. Leaders have character. They act for what is right. They would die for their men. His words sank into the chalkboard, into the walls, into us. Careerist, he said, making the words sound like a crime against God, are self-centered, self-absorbed. They act out of selfishness. They sacrifice their men for a promotion. They lie to pump up results. They save their skin instead of others. Careerists can't really lead because their men do not trust them and will not willingly follow. The correct answer for a leader is clear. You cross the border. You destroy the enemy to protect your men. You take the personal consequences to your career, knowing that you violated an order but acted for what is right. You feel pride in getting court-martialed and being reduced to a private. Everyone's a leader or isn't. It's not rank. It's character. So my question to you is this. Are you on a self-preservation mission led by fear? Are you on a God-glorifying mission that's fueled by faith? What if 2016 was the year that says, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shake off the shackles of fear, and I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for it. And if it doesn't work, that is not the point, because 100 years from now, the only thing that matters is what did I do with Jesus? And that is not just a salvation question, that is also a sanctification question. That if the Spirit is calling you to do something, that you could look back on your days and say, hey, listen, I was fueled by faith, which is the currency of our relationship with God. I was not ruled by fear. See, two of the most strong and courageous people that I know, that I know, are a couple that a few years ago, because of God's call in their life, shook off the shackles of fear, and they headed, they headed to East Africa. Not because it's kind of some kind of holy place or they're kind of super Christians, but because Jesus told them to do it. And so our friends Lee and Tyler that are part of our church that run Akoa Refuge are here with us. And especially now that we have nine services over three different locations and venues, uh, we shot this video so that we could share it with all of the service. Take, it, take a look at what it looks like for, for Lee and Tyler to talk about what God is doing through them and what they are afraid of. Check this out. Well, some of the most exciting things um, that ACOA has been doing this year, 2015, and what we're going to be doing next year through 2016 for me is uh, church planning and Bible schools. 
and uh, with our partnership with 1122 and planting a lot of churches in the next couple of years, the people who go on trips with 1122 next year are gonna preach the gospel one-on-one -on -one with around 15,000 people. You know, that's gonna be maybe around 3,000 salvations next year and 25 churches planted. I think for me, the, the probably the biggest fear that I have and the fear that is kind of reoccurring in my life is, um, do I have what it takes? Just me, I don't, I'm weak. And as uh, Pastor Joby always says, just a wretched black-hearted sinner, but I can stand on the promises in scripture and know that when I'm weak, that's when the Lord is strong. Um, in my weaknesses, I can boast in what the Lord does. The funny thing is that I think people look at me and they see a very strong, put-together person um, because that's how I have to be in day-to-day -day life but that's not actually who I am. I think I'm on the inside, I'm like a little flower and so delicate and so easily afraid. It's a daily struggle for me to not worry. The Bible says who by worrying can add a single hour to her life. And without the Lord, there's no way I would be able to do what we're doing because literally that verse is something that goes on in my mind all the time. Knowing that the Lord is with me is the one thing that carries me through every situation because then I'm not alone and if I'm not alone I can do anything. When we have such strong people standing behind us here like the Church of 1122, like Blake and Stephanie with the McKinsey Noel Wilson Foundation, those are the things that are so encouraging to us because if people believe in us then it's easier for us to believe in ourselves and when people it's one thing to say, hey, I believe in you, way to go, good job. It's another thing to stand behind someone with your time, your energy, your finances, uh, your friends, and to get other people behind us has been so humbling. Tyler and I never, in our wildest dreams, imagined that we would have such an incredible support system back here in the States between the church and the foundation and other individuals and a few other churches. It is, I mean, truly an eternal impact that's being had over there because of the people here who are standing behind us. I think the way that um, you as a church could pray for us um, would be for our family, uh, for Levi and I's marriage, for our children, that the Lord would continually uh, grow us closer together as we grow closer to Him, and um, just to protect protect that relationship and the relationship with our children, that we would always, as Akoa grows, larger that we would always protect the time that we have to spend time together as a family um, but also just to pray for a co-refuge that the Lord would continue to provide the things that he wants us to have to do the things that he wants us to do in Uganda so here's what I love about it man they're, they're not superheroes Neither is Joshua, and definitely neither am I. The things that, that, that they needed strength and courage were things like their marriage and their family, just regular stuff that all of us deal with. So, so maybe you're convinced. Maybe you're convinced right now. You're like, okay, I know what God's calling me to do. This is going to be the year, but how do I do it? What do I do? You see, the answer that God gave to Joshua is do not depart from my word. My question to you would be, so how are you going to lean in this year? Let me explain it this way. You see... Um, Joshua in Hebrew is Yeshua. Yeshua. There's no J in, in Hebrew, so the way you'd pronounce it is Yeshua. And I don't know if you know this, but if you flip over to the New Testament, there's kind of a, there's a Yeshua there. It's kind of a big deal. The Latin transliteration of the Hebrew name Yeshua, we would pronounce Jesus. Same name. 
Joshua and Jesus are the same name. And you see, Jesus is the greater Joshua. The, the, the name Joshua or Jesus means the Lord saves. And in Joshua, I mean in, in John chapter 14, in John chapter 14, um, Jesus is doing eternally what Joshua did geographically. You see, Joshua was going to take a group of people across over the Jordan land and move in or over the Jordan and, and cross into the promised land. Jesus is going to take all people that would believe in him and follow him out of death into life, into the promised land forever and ever. Amen. And in John chapter 14, right after communion, right after they've, they've had communion, and Jesus has begun to tell them that, hey, I am going to the cross to die and on the third day be resurrected uh, to ascend to the right hand of God the Father. As he's telling them that, they are looking freaked out like Joshua was looking freaked out. They had the look on their face like, what? Kind of like you do, like in disciple group when they say, Ted, you're praying. You're like, oh, no. All right? So they're like, ah. And so in, Joshua, I mean, in, in John chapter 14, Jesus says to them, do not let your hearts be troubled. Why? Because their hearts were very troubled. The mission that God had for them was huge. They were about to lead this global, this worldwide movement that is called the church. And there was going to be extreme persecution on them. And so their hearts were troubled. And he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. For where I am going, I'm going to prepare a place for you. For in my house there are many, many rooms. And I wouldn't tell you if I wasn't coming back to get you. But you know the way. And then, and then Doubting Thomas says, the way? We don't know the way. And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And then one of the other disciples is like, oh, if you would just show us the Father. To which I think he's, Jesus is thinking, are you dumb? This is all I've been talking about for the last three years. Okay, boys, pay attention here. Listen, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But check this out. I am going to pay the penalty for your sin on the cross. Three days later, I'm going to be resurrected from the grave. And then I am going away. But don't freak out because I am sending the Holy Spirit to be in you. That what Jesus is talking about here is the fulfillment of the promise that God gave to Joshua. And I will be with you. It's also right there in the great Commission, when Jesus says, and lo, I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. How is Jesus going to possibly be with all of us simultaneously? By sending the Holy Spirit. That whoever would receive Christ, the Holy Spirit would dwell inside of them. And now here's what I think. I think they hear all of Jesus' words, and I still think their heart's troubled. That's why you get into chapter 15. You see, at chapter 15, there, there was no chapter here while Jesus is saying these things. That they're still looking and they're freaking out. And Jesus, the master storyteller, he gives them almost the same advice that God gave Joshua on how to be strong and courageous. He goes, okay, boys, think about it this way, all right? Listen, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Like I am the source of your courage and I am the source of your strength. I'm the vine and you are the branches and my father is the gardener. And apart from me, you can do nothing. So don't be looking for the strength and courage on your own, okay? You will find your own strength and courage lacking. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But abide in me. Stay close to me. And I will stay close to you. Abide in you. And you're like, how do I do that? He says, you abide in me and my word will abide in you. And in that relationship, in that staying close, you can do anything that I have called you to do. That's what 15 is all about. That Jesus gives his disciples the exact same, the exact same encouragement that God gives to Joshua. And I think right now that he gives to us. So the question is, what is God calling you to do this year? 
why aren't you doing it? What are you afraid of? And some of those fears are legit. And so the way to be strong and courageous and be able to step out in faith is that you've got to lean into Jesus, abide in Jesus. That's what he says here. And then I hope you can begin to see this because you kind of get this cycle of faith that begins to happen. The more you abide in his word, the more he abides in you. And the more you do that, the more you begin to hear his voice. And the more you begin to hear his voice, the more God will call you to take these audacious steps of faith. Why? Because it causes you to lean into him. And I promise you, as you begin to do that, the whispers of the enemy, they will get loud. He will come against you. I promise I deal with it every single week. When the enemy whispers to me, man, you can't be the preacher here. If they really know you, you, they would disqualify you in a second. So I've got I've to shrink the size of my ear holes. That's what Coach Lee used to tell us. Boys, you've got to shrink the size of your ear holes. I mean, uh, Coach, you can't do that. What he was talking about is the holes on the side of your helmet. Quit listening to what the crowd has to say and get focused on the one who's calling the plays. And that's what Jesus is saying to do. So my question is, in 2016, in order for you to be strong and courageous and do what God has called you to do, how are you going to lean in and abide? What kind of step of faith are you going to take? And here's what I mean. For some of you, for many of you, what you need to do to abide in him is come back next week and the week after that and the week after that. And do not neglect on the gathering of the saints because I know how you work. I know how you work. It's like, how we're kind of a two-on, one-off. That's our program, right? We go to church twice and then we're like, oh, we're going to take a week off or we got some other stuff to do. We don't want to burn out. Burn out on Jesus, all right? I promise. And maybe, maybe this is the year that you say, you know what, we're going to sit under the authority of the teaching of the word of God Week after week, we're going to schedule everything else around that instead of the other way around. For a bunch of you, what you need to do, you've been attending for a long time, and what, what a bunch of you need to do is make, is, you don't have to download my podcast, find some people to listen to throughout your week that are teaching the Word of God so that you can marinate in it and meditate on it, not depart from, to the right or to the left. What a bunch of you need to do is take a step and sign up and actually attend a disciple group. And the reason I say actually attend is because I can talk you into signing up to almost anything. But I can't show up on your house on Tuesday night and be like, all right, it's time to go. And some of you are going to give an excuse, like, I've been, and it wasn't for me. Come on, you had a bad haircut, but you didn't give up on that whole situation, did you? You, didn't, you, you, you had a bad meal, but you're not like, I'm never eating again. That's not for me. It is for you. Do you realize that when Jesus says to his church, I am with you, a part of the way that he is with you is by the brothers and sisters that are sitting around you because they are the body of Christ. Maybe, maybe you sign up to go on a mission trip. Maybe you take your notes every single week and you do the reading plan. And all of this, these are not activities that I am trying to get you to do. What I'm trying to get you to do is just lean into Jesus. Abide in him and he will abide in you. So that by his strength and his courage, you will have what it takes to do what he has called you to do. Not in your own strength, but in his. You see, some of you, maybe for the very first time, Maybe you need to dig through the scriptures and begin to memorize some scriptures so that as you step out in faith, when the enemy begins to whisper those lies, when the father of lies begins to tell you some junk that are not from God your father, then you could stand on the truth of the word of God. And here's what it takes. It just takes that first step. It takes that first step where you say, I will no longer be ruled by my fears, but I'm going to stand in the faith that God is making available to me. Would you please stand and pray with me? Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, God, we love you because you first loved us. God, I pray for men and women, students in this place, Holy Spirit, that you would drive out fear because perfect love 
drives out fear. For you have not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. And Lord, I pray over the next few days that lead into months, that this would be the year that everything changes, that this would be the year that we walk by faith and not by sight, not by doubts, not by fear, not by the what-ifs. But God, we would be ruled by the Spirit of God. God, we love you because you first loved us. God, I pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our church. That this would be the year that as we look back many, many years from now, as we look back on our life, we might think this was the year that by faith I did what God called me to do. For your glory, God, and our joy. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So church, we respond. Like Joshua will respond. Joshua was not the initiator. God initiated, and Joshua will respond. We're going to respond by singing, by lifting our voices together. And we're going to respond, if you're a regular here, by bringing our tithes and offerings, our first and best. And it's an act of worship because God loved us enough to go first. And then we respond by bringing our first fruits, our first and best, to him. And then every single week, we talk about the, the altars down here being open. And for some of you, your first step of faith is to get out of your seat and come down to an altar. Because you know God has called you down here before, but you've been afraid, and you try to get all theological. Right? The omnipresence of God is in the eighth row, too. Shut up. Step out in faith and do what God is calling you to do. I am not your Holy Spirit, but obey the Spirit in your life and let us respond.